My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. You and I approach the Bible, and if we're like normal followers of Christ, we have a disconnect between what's on the printed page or on our screen and our world today. You know, there's a huge gap between the, the world of the Bible and our world. We have to cross a bridge. We have to go on an adventure, on a journey. Think about it. We have to go to a different time period because the Bible was written, well, the New Testament 2,000 years ago, uh, the Old Testament up to 4,000 years ago. And those are different places. Those are different times. It's an ancient world. It's not a modern world. It's a Eastern world, not a Western world. Our mindset has to change. Uh, different people, different cultures, different customs. Uh, they didn't grow up in our world knowing things that we know. Today we could talk about a musical act or we can talk about an award show or something on television. We could talk about something on internet, YouTube. We could understand what's going on with sports and we just kind of know that. That's our culture we're embedded in and there's nothing wrong with that. But we got to understand the people of the Bible were embedded in the culture as well, far removed from us. So when we cross the bridge over to get to what they were studying and thinking about, it's a lot of work, actually. Uh, it was written in different languages, Hebrew, the Old Testament, some Aramaic there, uh, Greek, the New Testament. We got to figure out the places, the geography. It's different than where we are. And it takes a lot of work. And, and, and that's okay because if we were going to be missionaries somewhere, let's say God sent us to another country, we'd have to do that. We'd have to learn that culture, learn those customs, uh, to, to reach the people, to not offend the people. We'd have to learn their language. We'd have to change to reach people. That's what it means to be a missionary, to be on mission. That's what we have to do. Well, you know, I would say we have to do that when we read the Bible because there can be a huge gap in understanding because it's just written differently than what we read today. It's stylistically different. And it's not just like any other ancient book. It's a, it's alive. It's God's word for us. But for us to really get it, we have to jump into that, to dive into that. And I, I, you know, when I trained pastors, Pastor Israel and I were over in January and we were training these pastors in Cuba. The illustration was once again, very vivid. We crossed a bridge every day to get to the church where we're doing the training for the men and women there. And we're just saying, you know, we have to cross that bridge every day when we read the Bible. And as a, a pastor, a communicator, someone leading a small group, somebody digging into the Bible so that you can teach it to somebody else, you have to cross that bridge and then you have to discover all these wonderful things, but you can't bring them all back because most people don't care about all the cool, awesome things you discovered. You have a small 
small backpack and you have to decide what is it that I need to bring back to relate to the people and to teach the message. And uh, it's often difficult uh, to really bring that stuff back. But today it's going to be easy because what we're bringing back is, I think, some of the greatest pictures that explain our relationship with God, what God has done for you and for me. And it's all through the metaphor. I love metaphors in the Bible. It's filled with metaphors, all these figures of speech, these word pictures. And when God paints with word pictures, it, it's not about the head. It's about the heart. And it just opens up and it's either real encouraging or, or really sad and discouraging. And sometimes you just have to be there. And if you've ever gone to the places of the Bible, Egypt, or maybe the Holy Land, Palestine, Canaan area, Israel, you know that it can open up. Years ago, Pastor Kevin and I had a great opportunity to go over to study, uh, do a three-week course on the history and geography of Israel. And we studied rocks and water and wells and dust and dirt and roads and maps. And it's, you know, it sounds kind of really super geeky boring, but it was awesome when we got there because after three months of filling out maps and looking at every Bible passage and where was this and where was that. All of a sudden we get out of the bus and our instructor, Dr. Rasmussen says, okay, grab map three. And we're like, pull out map three and open map three, orient it this way. Okay. You know, that little dot, that's where you are. We're like, really look over there. See that mound? That was Gath. Goliath came from that town right there. You're like, wow. And he goes, now look over here. See that valley? Yeah. That's the Valley of Elah. That's where David killed Goliath. Then we go down in the valley, we stand in the riverbed where David picked up five smooth stones. He goes, look over there. That's the hillside that the Philistines were camped on. And every day they came out to this valley and taunted the Israelites. And, and it was just, it comes alive. We had a really cool, I thought was just one of those throwaways and aside, we stopped the bus. It's hot. Get out, get a map, get your Bible. And all of a sudden the world of the Bible came alive to me. The metaphors that God used to illustrate truth just exploded in my heart. Talked to Kevin or myself today. And that was one of the most impacting moments. We got out of the bus. Our instructor says, let's open up to Isaiah chapter five. Isaiah is a story of God reaching back to his people, calling them to repentance, calling them to come back to him. And he begins to read Isaiah five and all around us, Isaiah five comes alive. And so I took a bunch of pictures and I want to share them as I read the first four verses. This is the heart of God toward his people. Now I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press into the nearby rocks. Then he waited for the harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes that grew were bitter. Now, you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? Now, that's all metaphorical language. God is talking to his people and he's trying to describe to them what I did for you. And then how you've turned away from me. And he uses such a vivid illustration of grapes and a vine. 
Now, we read the Bible and we go, oh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And we're thinking big, tall grass and big, fluffy, white sheep. Man, it ain't like that. Super discouraging. Scrawny little runts. There's no grass to be found. Little things growing up here and there. It's desert. And you know what? But that's really a better picture of what God is describing through David, through these metaphors. And today I want to talk about two metaphors that I hope grip us in a way that help us, again, relate to God and see God for who he is and what he's done for us. And now who we are as a result of all that God has done and love for us. But again, got to get it. The metaphor is only a word picture that describes something behind it. And you have to get the imagery behind it. Uh, We know, for example, uh, without a doubt that Jesus was not made of wood, right? He wasn't little Pinocchio boy, even though he said, I am the door. Okay. The picture is not the word. It's the image behind it. And today we're going to dig into that. So if you have a Bible, you could turn to Galatians chapter four. We're going to look at verses one to seven, page 892 in your chair Bible. And as you turn there, I'll give you some background. Paul's already used metaphor to explain these truths. He's used these word pictures. For example, he talked uh, early on in chapter two and three about things like Peter, James, and John, these leaders of the church. He calls them the pillars of the church. I like that. The pillars that hold up the, you know, the building. You know, they weren't literally holding up the building. They're not made of stone, right? But they were the pillars. That's an image for us. It means that everything rested on these guys. Uh, we saw though that Paul, you know, rails against Peter because he was living in hypocrisy. That's a, that's a metaphor because even Jesus used that probably the earliest we know in recorded history of using the Greek play and the mask that an actor would wear to play several parts. It was a fake image basically. And Jesus says, that's what you are as religious people. You wear a religious mask pretending to be something, but behind that you're not, you are a hypocrite. That's a beautiful metaphor to understand understand what was going on in a religious person's heart when they fake it, right? Paul uses things like this. He talks about uh, the fact that he was crucified with Christ. That's a metaphor. That's a picture. You know, he didn't actually get nailed to the same cross that Jesus did, but metaphorically, symbolically speaking, spiritually wise, he did. He goes, my old life is dead, just like when Jesus died on the cross. Uh, He said this, Pastor Mark shared this, a great picture. He says, you know, you Galatians, who cast an evil spell over you? Now, he wasn't saying that somebody had gone down to New Orleans and bought a voodoo doll and pricked you in the back. You know what I mean? It's not like that. But what a great picture. It's like somebody cast a spell on you. Wow, that's a a really interesting metaphor. I like that. He says to you and to me uh, in writing through this book, he says, we have received the inheritance of Abraham. The inheritance, I didn't get a check in the mail, right? Okay, an inheritance, the promise of Abraham, that's a picture, that's a metaphor. He says that the law, the Old Testament, was only a guardian until the time of Christ came. And we saw last week that we as followers are to put on Christ, just like putting on new clothes. 
all of these pictures. Today we're going to look at two more pictures that I, I just absolutely fell in love with in the last couple of weeks studying this. So excited to share them with you. If you do not like this message and when all is said and done, I'll give you your money back. Because man, I was just lit up this week studying these things because it was so exciting to think about. So hopefully you have your Bibles. We're going to jump right into it. This is what Paul says. Now, again, he's been writing to followers of Christ that are Roman descent, have nothing to do with Judaism and the Israel. Israelite history and all that. They could have cared less. That was in a corner of the world that nobody knew about basically for the Romans. But now having followed Christ, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, other Jewish believers come in and say, oh, oh, you have to add rule and rule and rule law and law and law. If you're ever going to be right with God, Jesus plus laws and rules, right? That's called legalism. So here's the uh, continuation of the metaphors to explain it. Okay. Think of it this way. Another illustration. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up. Even though they actually own everything their father had, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Now we're going to dig into this next week. Really cool things behind that. So I know it's first week in a spring break, but if anything, you can check on the podcast because there's great things to come. But Paul says, here's an illustration. Here's a metaphor. You're a, a slave. Now in the original language, it's the word son, because we know, uh, only really for the last 30, 40 years, we've been concerned about that. But in the ancient world, even, you know, even our modern world, the word male was used or man was used to talk about women and men. And a son was used to talk about sons and daughters. But Paul is specifically talking about this and he calls them sons. So you're a son of God, even male or female daughter of God. You get the picture. He says, I want to help explain this one more time. And I want to use an illustration from your Roman world. You would get this. All right. This is like Paul walking in, explaining something spiritual from Star Wars, we'd all go, oh, I understand now. And some of you don't. And I feel really sad for you. Um, But that's okay. You have Star Trek instead. Um, And so here's the illustration. He says, now think about it. When a man is just a child, just a boy, he's a part of the household. Of course, he's a son or a daughter. But he doesn't have the right to own what the father owns. Now, it's a really cool picture because what Paul is referencing is a Roman celebration day. Now, it just so happens that March 17th, today's the 18th, yesterday, March 17th, they didn't celebrate St. Patrick's Day with the green beer and stuff like that, okay? The little leprechauns or whatever. They celebrated a day called Liberalia. Liberalia was a very specific day. It was March 17th, two days after the Ides of March. And they celebrated that day because that was the coming of age day of young men between the ages of 15 and 16. Now, in many cultures, when you turn 12 or 13, you have a celebration. Like for Jewish uh, kids, it would be like a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. Uh, In Hispanic culture, it's like a quinceanera for ladies. There are times when you kind of graduate and grow up, right? I remember when I was, you know, young, 150 years ago, it seemed like the only coming of age was like high school graduation. You got a diploma and you had a party, right? Well, then I had kids and then we're like kindergarten graduation. I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, we're going to kindergarten graduation. I go, what did they do? They're five. 
But they graduated from kindergarten. I go, I didn't get a button when I graduated. I didn't get a brownie or a ribbon. We got kindergarten graduation. Then they go up, then they have what? They have sixth grade graduation. I'm like, are you kidding me? Sixth grade graduation? Okay. And then they had eighth grade graduation. I'm like, well, it's only two years later. What's going on with our world? We got to congratulate everybody for everything and throw a party, right? And then, well, okay. We all have these coming of age times, these celebration times. In the Roman world that Paul is writing to, the people of, of Galatian area, he's saying, you know what it's like? In the Roman world, you have liberalia, a very important day. And that is the day a child, a son becomes a man. Because up to that point, even though we know by name and relationship to the father that they will one day inherit everything, they're really treated like a household slave. They're just like the rest of the children and the slaves. They, they are under the discipline and rigor of what it means to just really be underneath slavery. But then the day comes when they are now a man and the father doesn't. Now, just how you turned 16 last Sunday. Sorry, yesterday was an important day, Liberalia Day. I didn't get you a toga because John Belushi. No, um, because, you know, that's what we think of. But that's the day a young man would take off the clothes of childhood and the father would present him with a white toga. And that white toga symbolized he was now an adult. But more than that, he was a citizen of Rome and he had the ability to cast a vote. He was a voting age. He was a full fledged member of that world and he had the rights of a Roman citizen. And so what Paul is saying is, is that by living under laws, by living under legalism, by going back to rules, it's like you're going back to being a kid again. Why would you go back to childhood? Why would you go back to slavery? Why would you submit yourself once again to these basic principles? Because you are now a full-fledged heir of God's inheritance. Because if you were the son... Of the owner of the estate and you were six or eight or 10 or 12 or 14 and the dad were to die, you would not receive that until you came of age on March 17th, Liberalia or the day the father set. Then you had full rights of the inheritance and basically ownership of it. And so now that day has come with Christ. And as he used last week, we've been, you know, in this relationship where we put on Christ, we put on the royal robes. Okay. I know it's kind of hard for us to think about a toga because all we can think about is, you know, animal house. Um, but, but the fact is, is that that was a vital day. And Paul says, think about it in your culture. You have that day when Jesus came, it was just like that day. It doesn't make any sense why you would go back to legalism, why you would go back to law, why you would go back to slavery. You're now a son. You back then you were no better off as a slave, but now you're a full fledged son or daughter of God. Now, legalism, my friends, is nothing more than religious slavery. When you or I come to this twist that we turn the Bible and go, well, I know it's a free gift, but I have to earn it. I have to deserve it. I have to work for it. I have to impress God. I have to impress people. I have to impress myself. I have to check boxes. I have to do certain things, not do certain things. I have to get in a group that does this, whether it's, they say it this way, they speak this way, they pray this way, they read this kind of Bible, they do this kind of thing. They're in this kind of church, whatever that's religious rules, rituals, where all we're trying to do is feel good about ourselves and look smugly down on other people because they're not as cool as we are. That's just nothing but going back to slavery. Because think about this. It's a defeat. 
It's a defeat. Because what Paul is trying to illustrate here is that when we were back in that day, it was a futile age because we could never achieve it, right? I mean, the best news I could ever tell you today is that you are a total failure, right? I mean, think about that. How many of you failed in the last seven days? Raise your hands. Okay, and the rest of you, you're hypocrites, okay? (laughs) You're liars. You're Cretans, Paul says, okay? Sorry if you're from Crete. Um, You see, the thing is, is that, uh, let's be honest, we don't get it right, right? We don't. I mean, we try and we achieve. This whole world's based on effort and energy and achieving and reaching it and going better. And you know what? fact is you and I and ourselves, we are far separated from that. Bible actually says that we have so fallen short of the glory of God that we are separated because of our sinfulness. And I know in our own effort, we can try to fix ourselves, but it's like pigs hanging out in the mud and mire trying to clean themselves up a little bit, but then we just live back in the pigsty, right? And it just, that's the part of our life. And so if you're trying to get it, by that, it's like, it's like you're going back to slavery. It's self-defeating because you reach it and you fail and you reach it and you fail and you reach it and you fail. Illustration. How many of you have ever been on a diet? That's all I'm talking about, right? Okay. We lose five pounds. We gain seven, right? It's like, wow. And I feel worse than when I started, but boy, depriving myself sure was enjoyable, right? No, not at all. Especially when people are eating pizza. And see, going back to slavery is defeating. Why would you go back to that? Why would you go back to a system of working for it, thinking you could earn it when you can't? Because it's just like a child who, you know, is no better off than a slave. Or worse, now he or she is a son or daughter with full inheritance rights, but doesn't live in that. They now go back and hang out as if they are still a slave. So Paul says, you got to get this because... That's the way it was before Christ came. We were like that, but we're not like that anymore. We now are full children of God. See, the cool thing is, is that now we're children of God and we still fail. Thanks for the encouraging message, James. But now we don't rely on effort. We rely on grace. And God's grace once again brings us face to face with God. And, and we just have to confess it, John says. Okay, go on. He says this. But I love this. This is such a beautiful picture. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. This is such a, um, a beautiful, filled statement. Other translations would say things like, uh, but when the fullness of time had come. But, but the idea is um, a mom who's like really pregnant, if I could say that. How many of you uh, ladies have ever given birth? You know, had, had a baby? Okay, all right. Now, I'm not like thinking like right before, like the few days before you're waddling. And especially if it's August, it's like horrible time, right? Sweating, no air conditioning. And you're like, the, it was pregnant. It was pregnant with the time. When the right time, when the fullness of time came, when the exact time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. That would be Mary, you know, subject to the law. And and the reason it says subject to the law, because Jesus lived in the Old Testament era. The, The gospels until the cross is all Old Testament until we get to Jesus on the cross. The new covenant is when it starts there. Now, you think about this. What what was the fullness of time or when the right time came? It's really kind of cool if you study history because... You know, we wonder, why did Jesus come 2,000 years ago? Well, in God's plan, in God's sovereignty, Jesus came exactly when he did because it was the perfect time for Jesus to come for the gospel to spread throughout the known world. Because 
Alexander the Great had conquered the known world. This young man had just destroyed every other nation and he ruled and his desire was to rule the world and he did it and then he died <laughs> there you go that's what you get you conquer the world and you die and then the romans came up but because of what alexander the great did because of the roman empire it was an amazingly fertile time to share the gospel it was the right time the fullness of time came at the perfect time because you had roman cities spread all around the world and roman cities were organized there were leaders there was safety within the walls there were there were uh, officers there were centurions there were soldiers everywhere you could go from city to city in safety in fact you could go from city to city because of roads the roman roads were all around the empire you can go to israel today you can go to turkey and greece today and you can still see parts of the roman road that would get you from here to there and the markers along the road, the stadium markers that would tell you how far it was to get to Rome because all Rome's, all roads led to Rome, right? That's what it was. But you think about that. I mean, I even think about this. We were driving, I don't remember a while, a couple months ago, maybe Christmas time. And we were driving up I-5 from uh, California to come back home. And, and when we were on the five there, one of the sons was asking something. I go, well, you can thank Dwight Eisenhower for this road. It's like, what? Who was he? An old dead guy. But he was president. Okay. And before that, he was, you know, a great, great leader in World War II. But it was Eisenhower that instituted the interstate system. And, and if you're old enough to have been around before the interstate system, you're like, thank you, God, for Eisenhower. Because okay? how many of you actually did have to drive on the old roads? I remember as a kid going Route 66. That was fun for knickknack stores, but man, that took forever. Now we just hop on a six-lane freeway and drive like crazy, right? But you think about that. That can get us from here to there quickly. That's exactly what it was like in the Roman Empire. Before that, you couldn't travel. There wasn't safety in traveling. But now the Roman road was protected by Roman soldiers going to Roman cities. The Greek language was spread throughout the known world. And now anyone could communicate to anyone because that was the official language. And so it was the perfect time for God to come. And Jesus showed up at the right time. God sent his son. Now, this is really cool. God sent his son. Kind of just bookmark that for just a minute. Hold on to that. God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. That's the next metaphor there, to be adopted as his own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit. It's really cool. God sent his Son to redeem us. And then God sent his Spirit into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. It's a beautiful thing to think about, that at the right time... God sent his son and he sent his son to buy our freedom, but that wasn't enough because now that we've experienced freedom, he sent his spirit into our hearts. Why? So that we can have an intimate relationship with creator God, that the God of all the universe, as much as we can even begin to imagine that wants to know us intimately, not as some far away, distant God to be feared. But it's a God who's a father that invites us to climb up on his lap and reach out to him and call him Abba. When you and I live in slavery to legalism, we're afraid of the wax, the punishment, the judgment that comes being caught, right? Not living up to it, not making enough, not getting there on our own effort. But when you and I run around in the playground of the heavenly father field, the land, the property, the, you know, the complex, the house the garden we get to enjoy all of what the father has for us 
And we get to cry out with intimacy. Now, I confess, and I've shared this before. We did a whole series on this about the father heart of God. That was very difficult for me. I, I grew up with an abusive father, very disconnected. And so when I started reading the Bible and thinking about God as my father, I just kind of put that on hold. I put it on a shelf I didn't go to because I couldn't think of God being my father without imagining all kinds of other things coming in the way of that. Some of you have experienced that. And it took decades for me, man, it was tough, to call out to God as my heavenly father and not feel a pain in the midst of those words. I remember this, and and if you ever make it over to Jerusalem, the old city, wander through the Jewish quarter. And it's one of the most beautiful, just amazing pictures. These little kids, little boys and girls running around in freedom. And I've seen this. I've heard this. They they cry out, Abba. Now, I I don't know a whole lot, okay? But I know they still use that word. And they cry out, Abba. And then they hold their hands up to Dad. And Dad comes and picks them up and puts them on his shoulders. It's like that is the intimacy that you and I have available to us. That because Jesus has come into the world to redeem us, because God has sent his son into our hearts, we now can cry out that God is indeed our intimate, loving father. And if you can't feel that, if there's a disconnect, man, he longs for that for you because he's done all the work necessary. We're no longer slaves. Now, Paul is referring to this other Roman situation that went on at the time. It's kind of a cool thing to think about. If you were an older, uh, maybe a man and woman, and you didn't have children, you didn't have an heir to your property, your possessions, your right, your name, things like that. Uh, You could go and find uh, a young man who didn't have a family or who had a family, but they were in poverty or such. And you could adopt that son into your family as a full son, the full rights to everything. It's a really cool thing thing to think about. There's a, a great quote here in a book called Slave Citizens and Sons by Francis Lyle. He says, the profound truth of Roman adoption was that the adoptee was taken out of his previous state, his condition, and placed in a new relationship of son to his new father. All his old debts were canceled. That's, this is really cool. This is a great, this is a great book. It's, it's about Paul's metaphors in the epistles. Think about that. When you are called now as a son, I know a son or daughter, when you're called now as a son in the Roman world, all your debts were canceled. Does that relate spiritually? <laughs> Absolutely. All of our sin is paid for. Jesus has paid the price for everything. All our debts are canceled. And in effect, the adoptee starts a new life as part of his new family. Now that was commonplace. And so when Paul wrote this metaphor about being adopted, they would get it. In fact, it was so much a commonplace that um, even emperors could be adopted. I'm, I'm reading a great book. Uh, Marcus Aurelius meditations. Any, anybody, anybody watch gladiator? Okay. Russell Crowe, raise your hand, men. Okay. Women. Yes. Remember the old guy that dies at the beginning? Marcus Aurelius. Okay. All right. So Marcus wrote meditations. It's, uh, he's the last of the great stoic philosophers. Um, and it's kind of like reading the biblical book of Ecclesiastes, except a whole lot more depressing. Um, and which I, I totally like it's melancholy. And so, um, he's writing about the futility of life and the end of life. And, and it's just like, wow, let's wake up and live a good life because it's going to be over soon. <laughs> Another encouraging message for you today. <laughs> You're full of them, James, right? Well, here's, here's the reason I bring this up. Marcus lost his dad when he was young 
and what would eventually become, who would eventually become the emperor, adopted Marcus as full rights. Marcus Aurelius only became the emperor of Rome by the Roman right of adoption. Isn't that amazing? In fact, when you read history, most of the emperors became emperor that way. Uh, rarely, and there were some, but rarely were emperors birthing sons that would become the emperor, usually because of adoption. And if you want to understand full rights, man, you could become the emperor. Imagine that of a kingdom, of an empire, because somebody in love reached out to you and pulled you out of the orphanage, paid your debts, gave you a new name, and you had full rights to everything that father had, including the inheritance. That's what Lyle is talking about. In fact, um, the cool thing here, we go on and look at this. He says, in these short metaphors, Paul describes the essential elements of the Christian's hope and assurance, his relationship with God. The words have been well worn over the centuries. They are easily said or read, and we do tend to slip over them. Yet we ought not to be so lazy or indifferent. One of the most remarkable phrases in the whole New Testament is that the Christian is the heir of God. That you and I, son or daughter, were moved from being a a pauper living in a gutter with incredible debt, never making it into the kingdom to being invited into the very throne room of Papa, Daddy God. And he invites us in and he welcomes us in and he calls us son or daughter. We're prince, we're princess of the king. And everything the father has now belongs to us. And our inheritance is that relationship. It's unbelievable. See, you and I, I know we do this. I I thought this way for years, that when we think about coming to faith in God, we think about it as a matter of subtraction, right? God takes away our sin. It's far more than that, my friends. You know, yeah, the paying of the the sin is paid for, the debt's paid for, but it's far more than that. And it's not even just addition. Salvation isn't just then getting the Holy Spirit or getting a new life, getting eternity. It's, It's not subtraction. It's not addition. It's transformation. That you are transferred from this one kingdom into a brand new kingdom. And you who were once without any hope, completely in debt, filled with sin, the Bible says, are now given full rights of sonship or daughtership. You are an heir to the throne of God. You have everything that God offers to you. Now, I think about this because we don't live like this, right? I I love this old Chuck Swindoll quote. Chuck was talking about this in one of his books many, many, many years ago. He said, I remember talking with one of the ladies, older ladies at my church, and I went up and said, Sister so-and-so, how you doing? She goes, well, Pastor, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. He said, what are you doing down there? Why would you live under the circumstances? You're a son or daughter of the most high God. You have so much more available to you. I know there are pains in this life, but remember who you are. You have been given victory in Jesus Christ. You've been given a new name. You've been given a a, a new relationship with God and you can cry out to God. We go from beggars and paupers to princes and princesses of the king. And if that doesn't excite you, man, you need more coffee. Okay, because that's awesome that when you drive out of here today, when you walk out of here today, When you ride out of here today, you are dearly loved by God. And he has done everything to purchase you out of the slave market of sin, to redeem you, to pay all your debts and to give you a new name and a new identity. You are a son. You are a daughter and you will inherit everything that God has for you. And that is what our salvation is about. It's about adoption. 
It's about bringing, being brought into the family. It's about receiving full sonship or in this case, full daughtership as an heir of God. Again, our world is built on the idea that if you want something, you have to take it. You have to earn it. You have to work for it. You have to achieve it. But that's not how a relationship with God comes. You receive it. And if you want to work for it, man, you're just going to go back to slavery and you will not ever, ever achieve it. And you will be defeated and you will defeat others in your slavery. But if you want to receive it, you welcome it with open arms because the price has been entirely paid by God through Jesus Christ. Child of God, you know who you are. Do you live in that? Do you cry out, Abba, Father? Do you embrace, do you climb up on Papa Daddy's lap and laugh with him and celebrate with him and enjoy him? I want to read a scripture. Just, man, I just love it. It's so beautiful. 1 John 3, 1 to 2. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children. And that is what we are. I was raised with King James, so I can't read this without thinking, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we would be called the sons of God. Behold, marvel in how much God loves you, that he calls you a child of his. And he's paid the price. He's adopted you, brought, it, brought you in. He's given you a new name, a new identity. He's given you an inheritance, which is himself and everything that he has for us in the future. And we now can come up upon his lap and reach out and say, Daddy, Papa, Abba. And we can cry out to him. I love this. He says, but the people who belong to this world, they don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. We will see him face to face. That is the whole reason why we do everything here at Sunrise Church. It's so that you would know that you're a child of God, that you would know what it's like to live in the blessings of this God that loves you. It's not about being a workhorse. It's not about effort or energy. It's about God's grace being poured out to you through Jesus Christ. You just are invited to receive it because you don't, you don't deserve it. That's for sure. None of us do, but we'll receive it because Jesus has already paid the price and done the hard work for us because God sent his son at the right time. And now he sent his spirit into our hearts. And so we can have that Papa daddy relationship. My friends, if there's a break in that, if there's a difficulty in that, I know and understand what you're going through. We want to pray for you after the service. Pastor Kevin's going to come up. We'd love to just walk with you. Uh, We offer some great biblical counseling. It might take a while, but man, one day you could look up and reach out and call out Abba with no fear in your heart. There's another picture in the Bible for some of you, and it's the story of the prodigal son coming home. And I love it because this prodigal son, after he had wasted his life and all the inheritance, um, he comes back with this really cool plan. I'm going to work it off. I am going to power through. I'm going to get to that point where I can pay my debts. I'll become one of my father's hired workers. And as he comes up that road, what does he see coming toward him? His father running to him, not to slug him, (laughs) not to shame him, but to embrace him, to kiss him and to welcome him back and to put a ring on his finger as a full son, as a, a child of the family, to put shoes on his ragged feet, 
to take off the filthy clothes and put a brand new robe on to cover his nakedness and to have a party, to kill an animal and to celebrate. Some of you, that's the story you need to embrace today, that there's a heavenly father that has done everything necessary to love you and to call. And man, when you come to him, he's not going to berate you. He's not going to beat you up. Um, Jesus took all the beatings. (laughs) He took all the shame. He took all the scourging. Uh, He took all of our sin. He wants to welcome you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to kiss you and call you a son or daughter and cover you with Christ's righteousness. Because Jesus was the one that died for the sake of the party. And now all of heaven will celebrate. Pray with me. Father, as we think about the imagery of being an heir, being a, a, a son or daughter, being adopted in, being a full right son or daughter of yours with all that it means as a citizen of your kingdom. God, why would we ever go back to trying to earn it? That would be just absolutely, utterly ridiculous. But you know in each of our hearts is a desire to work for it, to achieve it, to, to feel like we've earned it. God, strip us of that. May we just be like little children reaching up to you calling out to you, Abba, Father, you have adopted us. Father, if there are people here today, I'm sure there are, odds are, yes, that they need to run to you. They need to come to you. And maybe they're filled with shame. Maybe they're filled with a work it out story. But when you see them, you will embrace them and kiss them and call them a son or daughter. May they come to you because of what Jesus has done. And all of heaven will throw a party, Lord. And the banner above the table will have their name on it and they will receive full rights as a son or daughter. Not because they deserve it or because they earn it, but because you love us. You're crazy about us, God. And you desire all of us to be saved. So may we do that today and come to you because of what Jesus has done for us. We pray in his name. Amen.